0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely
1: upon advertisements.
2: Welcome to After the Buzzer. Today's episode is touching upon one of the day's hot topics, legalized sports gambling. Over a year ago, the Supreme Court struck down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection of 1992 Act, allowing legalized sports gambling in states other than Nevada. Many felt it was a long time coming, but others felt it was a recipe for disaster and trouble. I'm not an expert on gambling. The closest thing being occasionally visiting a casino and playing blackjack, filling out an NCAA bracket, or playing a pick-the-NFL games pool, so I don't have any firm beliefs on what it all means. But today I have two guests, Dustin Gugger and David Purdom, that are experts and have a real handle on this space. Dustin has written and been the editor of the website, legalsportsreport.com, focusing on sports betting and online gambling. He has also headed up content for several websites on the emerging U.S. sports betting and the daily fantasy sports industries. Dustin is a former newspaper reporter and editor, including stints at the Washington Post. Our other guest is David Purdom, who since the 2014 reported on the business side of the gambling industry for ESPN. He appears frequently on the Daily Wager, ESPN sports betting news platform, and on Outside the Lines. His written work on gambling appears on ESPN.com. David is well-connected in the U.S. and U.K., and his profile on professional sports better, Billy Waters, is worth reading for those interested in professional gambling. Welcome to you both. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, And just kind of, as I said in the introduction, I'm not a sports gambling person. I said, I don't know very much. Uh, I'm just figuring out what over and under means. And uh, so, you know, we'll start alphabetically and we'll start with you, uh, Dustin. Tell me how you kind of got into this line of sports betting and and, and the sports industry.
1: Yeah, I've just been a writer for a long time. Uh, I was a poker player uh, back in the days when you could play online poker pretty easily, uh, So I just kind of already had kind of knew the gambling space a little bit. Uh, Poker, obviously not the same as sports betting, but, uh, you know, kind of learned the industry from the ground up back uh, five years ago. I think David and I were about the only ones really covering the daily fantasy uh, industry with any kind of, regularity I, I focused on that and then uh you know as the Supreme Court case came around I was actively covering that I was actually in the in the building the day they had oral arguments so um yeah just kind of uh yeah learned 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 a little bit of the industry as I went along but uh yeah uh, just the the connection between there's a lot of a lot of need for uh content and just good reporting i think on the intersection of gambling and legislation and uh, and all that
2: okay. how about you David?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a similar path. I was working for a newspaper. I believe Dustin was working for the Washington Post. I was working for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, I was traditional sports coverage, uh, professional, Falcons, Braves, uh, Georgia Bulldogs, that kind of stuff. And I started freelancing as the newspaper industry started on its decline and started laying off people. Um, I got nervous, so I started freelancing. And I had always bet on sports. You know, I'm not a great better, I'm a small better, I bet $20 a game or whatever. So I knew a little bit about it, and so I started writing about it and just basically general previews about the odds of the games and just some of the different storylines that surround sports uh, dealing with gambling. And uh, From there, that was uh, 2008. Ten years later, here it is, uh, ESPN, and we have a new legal sports betting market in the U.S. that's growing day by day.
2: So as I mentioned in the introduction, the Supreme Court sort of – opened up the legalized sports gambling to places other than Las Vegas. So as we sit here today, what is the landscape for legal sports betting in the United States? I think it's 15, if you say,
1: states that have formally legalized. If We're we're waiting on some governor's signatures and three more. So I think we're up to 18 states in in Washington, D.C., where there either are or will be legal sports betting. Am I right on that, David, or has it changed since this morning?
0: Yeah, that's right around the right number. Um, there are currently eight, including
1: Nevada states, that
0: have legal sports books operating in them in some fashion or another. Um, that's quite the different. It's from just last year. Um, like you said, May 14th was the date when the Supreme Court kind of changed everything here. Um, and since then, we've had sports books open up in seven different states, uh, additional to Nevada. So it, it, it's changing
2: rapidly. So you said you have sports betting in some kind of fashion. What kind of fashions are there? Is it uh, just like in Vegas where you go to the sports book, or is it online, or is there is it like the old days in OTB? I'm from New York, so I can say that on, on off-track betting where you could go do. What are the different ways that someone can sports bet?
1: It's still pretty much two channels. It's it's both well, it's retail sports books like you described where you go to the sports book or wherever in place to bet. And then online betting, uh, you know, states have have had varying takes on how on how they're legalizing or if they're legalizing it. Right now as we sit, you can bet online in Nevada, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. It's technically legal in West Virginia, but there aren't any apps live there right this second. And then uh, you know, there's that universe of states that's either passed the law or We'll get into it soon. Is a growing number of states that will have both both a retail channel and an, an online. Uh, there in New York, it's one of those states that's that's in the waiting the wings. Like in the next few weeks, we're going to see the first physical sports books in uh, some of the casinos in upstate New York. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, the, I mean, ideally, I think we as we sit here, it would be great if every state was opening up online betting because there's so much more potential there than just saying, oh, you have to go to the casino and, and bet on sports, both Nevada and New Jersey have experienced that firsthand. So um, I think that's where it's going. That's the trend. Um, it's just a matter of kind of how fast we get there, I think. You know, some of the locations, you're talking mostly casinos
0: that have it now. There are a few racetracks that also offer a sports betting, primarily these physical sports books are up that like Atlantic City casinos or some of the casinos along the Gulf Coast in, in Mississippi, um, and then a few horse tracks. But Again, Dustin hit it on the head there when he talked about the mobile wagering. That's where everything is going. Um, I think what is the numbers, Dustin? 80% of all bets yep. are placed on their phones are mobily in New Jersey right now. So while we talk about uh, these
2: brick and mortar establishments, eventually almost everything's going to be done over your phone. Yeah, I was reading one of your articles, uh, and I saw that stat where it said 80% of New Jersey's revenue uh, was coming from online. So why isn't everybody doing that? What's the holdup with getting more online betting platforms?
1: It's the land-based casinos. Generally, they kind of run how things go in states that have casinos, or or if you have horse tracks, they – there's existing lobbying mechanisms. There's uh, there's a lot of reasons that they're a little they they're a little tepid on taking what what's basically a monopoly for them and saying oh we're going to go online. A little scary for them. Um, you know, as more states do this, though, I think it'll become pretty clear that you're just giving up revenue if you're not doing it. Now, the more people there are, the more competition there is. Like if you're, you're you know like okay, you better have a good product if you want to compete. We're seeing again, we're seeing that in New Jersey not everybody is getting an equal share of that revenue, so it's a matter of how well you do it. But it really has to do with, you know, how states have legalized gambling in the past and it often flows through, you know, existing existing channels, which is, you know, casinos, tribal casinos, racetracks, etc. I think it's the moral pushback
0: that really comes to the forefront when the people start talking about online, online sports betting, online casino. There just seems to be a fear and as Dustin knows, if you really dive into the data, a lot of people believe uh, that moral pushback about uh, online is, you know, focused on problem gambling or, or it's going to bring a casino into the house. Well, actually, when you kind of look through the data a little bit, you'll see things that indicate that online gambling is almost safer for people that have issues with problem gambling. Uh, you can identify them faster. Uh, there are protections in place that they can exclude themselves from being able to bet on a platform. But when you ask why states have been slow, some states have been, I really do still think there is this moral pushback uh, in the U.S. here, kind of a Puritan-type uh, pushback against online gambling. They kind of seem resigned to, hey, we already have casinos in 40-plus states. Uh, if sports happening happens there, I guess that's going to happen. But there still seems to be some resistance when you, when you talk it online.
1: Yeah, people kind of look at it as, you know, we, yes, we've legalized all these other forms of gambling. You know, commercial casinos are in so many states now. So many states have the lottery. They have video lottery terminals and bars. Like, it's, gambling has become really pervasive in the United States. So there's the last vestige of that is whether you take it online or not. So there's, I, I understand the pushback. But at the same time, you, like, you look at states that have legalized every other form of gambling under the sun. This is the line you draw now, and you, again, you're you're not really <laughs> banning sports betting online to any real degree. There's plenty of offshore sportsbooks that that will take wagers. They, you know, depending who ask, they operate legally or illegally. I would I would say they operate illegally in the United States by taking wagers. But if you're saying you're not legalizing sports betting, all you're really doing is is letting the existing offshore market kind of run things. So I, that, whenever I say, "Oh, yeah, we're banning sports betting," you know, you're not really banning it because you don't have there's no real way to stop betting on the internet when it's when
2: it's not taking place in a regulated fashion. I heard someone say that legalized sports betting is a tax on despair and boredom. What do you say to that? Are we just feeding into people's you know obsession with gambling?
1: I don't think betting on sports is bad for anyone. It's uh, you mentioned you do NCAA pools. You know that's not traditional sports betting, but if you're doing it for money, that's some kind of betting. So many people watch sports and you either bet on it with friends, or they'll bet it on an offshore. If they're in Vegas, they'll they'll bet on it. I just see it as you know a way of of entertaining yourself while you're watching a game. Now, obviously, we talk, David, hit on responsible gaming. If you're doing that too much, then, yes, it's uh, you know it's a problem, but. I just don't have any problem with, you know, average Joe who wants to put 25 bucks down on, uh, on the money line tonight. That's not a tax on people being bored. That's just, you know, that's a, it's a, it's another entertainment. It's, uh, you're playing the moral police to some extent, but I just don't buy that argument at all.
0: Yeah, 100%. I was with a NFL executive on a panel recently, a gambling panel, and he said the one thing that the NFL, when they kind of started looking at this again and went back after the case is over, they said they vastly underestimated the size of the illegal sports betting market in the U.S. It's basically uh, bookmakers and offshore bookmakers, uh, your, your country club guys, all this make up this giant, giant pool. So with all that betting that's going on, legalizing it, in my opinion, is it, not adding to that tax or, or burden. This sports betting is going on. It's pervasive. Uh, all we're doing is putting it under the light. Uh, Of of regulators, you know, vetted licensed officials who could look around, see, look for problem gambling, look if anything looks suspicious in the betting. So uh, I don't think the legalization of this should ever be looked at as uh, something that made it worse.
1: Yeah, that revenue that they're talking, NFL is talking about that massive offshore market, that's money that's not going to, you know, U.S. companies in many cases or U.S. casinos or anybody. It's not money. It's also not tax revenue that's going in the state coffers. You're you're basically... Any, the only revenue you're getting is if average Joe is uh, putting it on his income tax. Otherwise, you're not benefiting from this in any way. And, and it's also no small part jobs. Um, you know, Indiana and Iowa passed laws this year. They're going to have sports pick at all these casinos. They're going to have online sports pick. There's there's a not insignificant number of jobs that come out of this. too. so. Um, you know, from all this standpoint, it's there's a lot of good that can come out of it. If you're yeah, if you're saying. Yeah, it's not good to have more gambling. Great, but again, it's already happening, and United States and states are not really benefiting from it in any in any tangible way in the way it goes on now.
2: So I can make the argument that from the NFL, I was a prior executive in the NFL, and for years we wouldn't even have meetings in. Las Vegas or Nevada. Uh, I remember once negotiating a contract and I met the agent in Nevada and I got a call from the league office Says, you know, you shouldn't be meeting in Las Vegas. Uh, it happened to be convenient between the agent that was in California and me, who was in St. Louis at the time, which is why we met there. So the leagues were very anti-gambling. Uh, And as I say, we wouldn't, you know, we had sports lawyers meetings and the NFL would say we can't go there. And then David Stern and uh, Adam Silver sort of changed and they sort of said, you know what, maybe we should embrace sports gambling is happening. The NFL uh, person on the panel that you said was not sure that uh, he or he underestimated the effect of offshore and illegal gambling, although the NFL for years has published uh, injury reports uh, and all those kind of things. So why the change in the sports? Is it, was it just money?
0: I think you can always start with money. Uh, it's, it's always going to be a part of the answer. I also think when uh, the change in commissioners from David Stern to Adam Silver to Rob Manfred in baseball, that change at the head allowed them to pivot uh, it, to a degree on sports betting. Like you said, I mean, gosh, there's some really bad things that the, the sports league's commissioners, Bub Sealy called gambling evil, destroys your sport, and your testimony in the New Jersey case. Uh, you know, they've just been adamantly against this, almost over at the top with their rhetoric for it. So the only way they can kind of pivot from that such a hardline position, in my opinion, was to kind of have a switch of commissioners, and they did. We had uh, Bud League replaced by Rob Manford and David Stern replaced by Adam Silver. Uh, coincidentally or not, uh, within the months after those people took over, those commissioners took over, uh, they pivoted uh, the league's position on sports betting and started to say that, hey, maybe legalizing it, uh, putting it under the sunlight is a better approach.
1: It starts with money, but it doesn't necessarily end there. I think, I think at least the, the two examples you have said, baseball and basketball both see a money opportunity, but you know, you listen to Adam Silver over the years and he's, now he said the right things and he understands that again what we've been talking about here offshore betting already happens we should be regulating it like he used that phrase put it into the sunlight on multiple occasions like having a regulated betting market is something that you know it actually it should improve integrity it should help consumer protections it should there's a lot of good that comes out of regulating and yeah, while while the NBA would like to make as much money as it can from sports betting, I think there's, you know, obviously a, a real sense that they think it's a, just a good thing for their sports as well and for, you know, just the future of betting in general.
2: Both of you guys are pointing to the changes in commissioners which I, I could maybe make the argument that it's a generational thing, both Stern and Selig were from a different generation where, you know, you're talking about gambling as being underworld, third world, and then over time, you know, with, with uh, off-track betting and then with Sportsbook and Vegas and all that, it's changed a little bit. But now you also find that the two the leagues, uh, and even to some extent college, and we'll talk about that in a second, now they're talking about some sort of integrity fee, Uh What's your take on integrity fee? Or is this, again, just their way of getting their, their mitts into the money? I'm going to let Destin start there because I believe
0: he has <laughs> made integrity fee t-shirts, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Uh, I'm doing them at cost.
1: But, yes, we're, we're making t-shirts that have hashtag integrity fees. Uh, a little bit of the backstory of this is the league started you know, getting involved in lobbying with sports betting actually before the Supreme Court case actually was resolved and while it was going on the first bill that was introduced in, in Indiana was kind of written by the leagues. It included this idea of an integrity fee that sports books in states would just pay directly to the leagues when they when they take wagers on them, which, you know, was a pretty different concept, not really something that's Widespread in, in the sports betting industry, it's changed a lot, and the position on it's changed a little bit. The leagues are still asking for them. Uh, Adam Silver and others have they actually pivoted to calling it a royalty rather than an integrity fee on some on some occasions. But you know, their case is that if you didn't have our games, you wouldn't be able to bet on them. Now, that is that a is that a great reason for just paying them money? Uh, I, I certainly don't think so. Others may disagree, including David. But I think the the dynamic is such that. I don't think you should just give them money, but is there a way, is there ways that they should be working together? You know, sports books and leagues. Certainly we've, we've, we've seen that in a lot of ways. We've seen marketing deals between both leagues and sports books and teams and sports books. And that's things that make sense. And then there's also the, the whole issue of data, which we get to, there's, you know, sports books are paying for official data that comes from the leagues that is in theory better and faster and should be more reliable than what you're getting elsewhere. So, Um, I don't think just paying the leagues for existing is a great idea. I don't don't think there's a whole lot of great comparisons for that, Um, but I know David and I don't quite always see eye-to-eye on this one, so I'll let him talk about it, too. For the most part, we do. I
0: just want to see the leagues bring something to the table that would grow the market so it would make sure those integrity fees uh, are paid. And just to uh, really specify what an integrity fee is, the leagues have asked for 0.25% of every dollar wagered on their respective events. So if you were to bet uh, on a Kansas City Chiefs game, uh, maybe the NFL would get this. Or if you were to bet uh, on a Royals game, uh, maybe the Royals or Major League Baseball would get the money. Uh, So they wanted to have a stake in helping grow the market, which I think we can all appreciate. If they're going to try to put out effort to uh, grow the sports betting market, they would like kind of a say in the action Sometimes I think that uh, the language of integrity fee just really, really uh, hurt them. It was the wrong way. You got bookmakers going, what? Were they not offering integrity before, and now they want money to provide it? So it was just a a, a, a flub uh, by the leagues in their lobbying approach. They, like you said, they have changed it uh, to a royalty. Some of them must call it compensation now. Um, and that's fine. There are certainly stakeholders in this. I don't think we can deny this, but I also agree with Dustin that paying them for just having the games, I'm not sure that's uh, worthwhile. Because if you go back and look at the strike years from baseball, the handle in Nevada, the amount wagered on all the sports, even though there was less games because they didn't have any baseball, it didn't drop a bit. It was flat, in fact, increased a little bit. So even if the NBA says fine, if you're going to bet on games, we're not going to hold them to something ridiculous like that betting would still continue you know it's always going to continue ever since there's been sports there's always been somebody to bet on it so I don't think that would be the you know the take of oh you know if you didn't have our games you couldn't bet on sports No, I don't
1: buy that at all creating a, a regulated market out of scratch, basically scratch outside of Nevada it's kind of diametrically opposed to just giving leagues money in exchange for nothing right you you have this ideal of okay we want regulated betting everywhere we want we want to Speed. We want operators to not have to, you know, be able to make a little money. If you're just basically having a, you know, a publicly declared private tax that's you know, a transfer of money from sportsbooks to leagues, and you get nothing back in return, there's not a great argument for that as far as we're going to create this legal market. But okay, just pay us, and we're not giving you anything back. That's that's the part that's difficult to stomach from my side of things. Again, you're David. If you you know if you have a transfer of money, and there's something that's coming from that. In, in partnerships or data or what have you, then then that's great. And I think everybody agrees that that's okay. But yeah, just, just creating a, basically a private tax that's paid to the leagues, uh, I think, is not really in sync with the goal of creating a, a real regulated market.
2: So maybe what were the leagues? Maybe a little late to the party. Uh, they fought it for so long. Gambling sort of gained some momentum. Uh, it, it existed without league cooperation. And now once it's established, they decided, well, we didn't really cooperate, but we want to share on your profits. Did yeah, they miss the vote? That's, that's a pretty good description of what happened. You know, the
1: Supreme Court case, I don't think they ever thought they were really in a position that they were going to lose. I mean, to go back to the Supreme Court case, you know, the NBA and the other leagues and the NBA were the actual litigants in that case. And we're trying to stop New Jersey and. The- a larger expansion of sports betting. So they kind of thought all along that they were just going to keep winning this case and then sports betting would happen kind of on their timeline. And then yeah, a year ago everything got flipped on its head. all of a sudden, as soon as the Supreme Court case was taken, that's that, that was the, the signal like, okay, we might actually lose this and now we have to go to DEFCON one and say, yes, let's let's start getting sports betting bills and legislation that we want to see. So you know if Supreme Court case had never happened, Leagues would be in a much better position to kind of dictate exactly how this would go down. Um, it would be it would obviously have been a lot slower timeline, but I think they would have had you know, more time to kind of wrap their heads around it. And instead, they've had to do a very quick lobbying effort that's um, been successful in a few places, but not successful in a lot of places. They you know, they've lobbied at the federal level. I don't, I still don't see Congress meaningfully getting into sports betting anytime soon, but you kind of summed it up correctly in that they, they missed the boat a little bit, and they're playing catch-up.
0: I would go back to the rhetoric that the uh, commissioners used to just bashing these gaming operators, these bookmakers that are completely legal and tightly regulated in Nevada, uh, hearing that they wouldn't even hold meetings in Nevada, uh, calling and gambling the worst of evil and this and this and this. I think it ended up giving a chip on the shoulder to the gaming industry. And that has made them kind of dig their feet in even stronger when they've, the leagues have tried to switch tunes and come back and they're like, wait a second, you just called me evil and not worthy of your time. You couldn't even come into my state to discuss it with, me. you know, whether practical or not. I think I, I know for a fact that some of the, the bookmakers and the uh, casino executives have almost a uh, chip on their shoulder towards the leagues because of that rhetoric. So uh, that is something that's been really the most disappointing to me is just now how disingenuous all that years were, all that just, Utter doom if this happens, irreparable harm to our league if sports betting is legalized. Clearly, it was just uh, way over the top, and now it's uh, costing
1: New Jersey, after they won the case, they passed another law, and they're still—you know—the law of leagues are still saying you can't pass this law without what we wanted it because you're just doing it wrong. So if they hadn't given up yet. They were still like, "This is not good unless you do it the way we say." Which is, I, I think they've measurably changed their tune on that. They're not—you know—lots of states have now passed laws that don't really give the leagues much or any of what they want. But they've gone away from, if you don't pass the law that we want, it's the end of the world. and things, Because they, they've realized the, you know, the reality of what it is. This is going to happen with them or without them. So they get what they want, great, but they can't pump the brakes on what's happening. It's going to happen with them or without them.
2: I'm not going to ask you to comment because it's not really on the subject, but it sort of reminds me a little bit of uh, legalizing marijuana around the country. The leagues seem to be a little bit behind the curve on what the public sentiment is. Uh, marijuana or, or cannabis is becoming legal in so many states, and they have this prohibition for their players that say they use it for pain management, and they seem to be a little bit behind the, the curve on that. Maybe they would have learned a lesson from uh, how to approach a, a shifting cultural uh dynamic in this country, and maybe get ahead of the curb instead of behind the curb, and having to repeat some of the catch-up that they're doing in the sports betting industry. We talked a little bit about it, and just by the name of the fee, the integrity fee, which they've changed to the royalty fee, uh, what about integrity? Is gambling, is it a threat to the integrity of of sporting events? Yes,
0: gambling is a threat because... You know, that's the intent when you try to fix a game is to make money off it by wagering. Now, is legalized sports betting a threat to integrity? Not in my opinion. Dustin, if you and I are going to fix a game, uh, what if I told you, okay, I want you to go take your identification. I want you to take your tax forms. And I want you to go over to this legalized sports betting where they're going to give you the runaround just so we can get $10,000. Or are you going to go to the offshore bookmaker who you can bet anonymously, not pay any taxes, and not have any issues i mean it's kind of an obvious answer in my opinion
1: again we keep coming back to this sports betting has been going on either at your local bookie or or offshore for a long time this is just more sports betting there's uh you know whatever integrity concerns there were already existed that's the part of the conversation that always upsets me when i see it is that somehow legalized sports betting is some new concern that just popped off in the last year one it's been going on in nevada forever Nevada books has actually been involved in smelling out some of this in, in the history of, of college betting. So, not to dismiss the fact that there's not just the fact that there's more betting. Yes, there, it creates additional integrity concerns. There's going to be more of it. Yes, but these are these are not new concerns. Just if, if you know if there are integrity concerns before, and there certainly were, those have not changed really in a measurable way with the advent of legal sports betting. Like David said, regulation, knowing your customer, being able to. You know fee data and how, how bets are coming in um, it, it, these are good things for the integrity of the game not bad things
2: although you could make the argument that because there's more that means there's more temptation if there's more money there there's more temptation uh, the reason that the leagues are now saying hmm maybe we ought to get into this is because they see it as a money train and if there's more money out there does that make it more temptation I think I guess there's
1: more uh, there's more ability to bet on sports. yes the increase in threat to integrity is not absolutely zero. It's not, there are, there are more places to bet if people aren't vigilant. Yes, there there are possibilities of doing that. But I totally agree with, with David. Like, you know, if you walk in with a crap ton of money into any sports book United States and want to bet it on something that that doesn't seem right to the book, they're going to flag that pretty quickly. Um, even more so online. If you're, trying to bet online, and they're going to know who you are. They're going to know the last four digits of your Social Security, probably. So they're going to know who you are when you place this bet. That's not something that you really want to happen if you're trying to fix a match. Like, I, I, I do find that scenario kind of funny, and I don't think it's you – know, that's, again, part of the argument for increased regulation, this idea that you have more data, you have more information. it's going to become, It should become increasingly hard to fix a match in any kind of way.
2: I'm a little surprised that one of the first leagues to come in favor of sports gambling was the NBA with the Tim Donaghy uh, matter. Do you find any irony in in, in the fact that they were the first to say, let's do this? Or did they just realize, you know, we had a problem when it was illegal. If we get it legal, maybe we'll have more control. Silver
0: was the deputy commissioner under Stern for a few years before Donaghy. He was already in Europe looking at some of these uh, jurisdictions that have legalized sports betting and how they do it, uh, he was considering thinking about. Then they had the Donaghy thing. And boy, that kind of put everything on halt. But when they really started kind of looking through and diagnosing everything, they realized that they couldn't see. They didn't have access to the data that they probably would have needed
1: to uh,
0: somehow highlight or identify what was going on sooner. And that resonated with uh, Commissioner Silver. I've asked him about that. and He said, absolutely, it resonated uh, with me that, you know, we just couldn't see and we didn't have the protections in place. And that's been something that they've been pretty adamant about um, almost uh, to an extreme here in in the lobbying process is that they want access uh, to the betting activity. They want to see where the bets are coming in from, who is betting and so forth. You know, the Donny Hay situation. Uh, almost propelled them to uh, pivot on the issue when silver took over.
1: Most of the biggest examples we see of this, right, are not from, like, regulated sports betting. I see. I think David and I both get frustrated when we see the Black Sox use an example. Like, that is not regulated sports betting. That's well, a long time ago. That's not a reason to not legalize it. And P. Rose, the same way. It's, these are not examples of regulated markets and how they function in today's world. So it gets frustrating when we see all that. And Donnie, the same way. This is not... Those would not have taken place via regulated markets in, as, as it's rolling out in the United States today. There's no, there's no way the the, the market manipulation that happened, you know, with the Donahue games would have happened at a regulated book for any kind of length of time. I'm pretty convinced. I don't know if David you agree with that, but
2: uh,
1: the Donahue situation was weird. Usually, when you have a port shaving scandal, the
0: other one that's uh, used often is the Arizona State College basketball in the early to mid '90s. This was a situation where kids, students uh, were coming in uh, from Arizona to Las Vegas casinos and just piling money against Oregon State, game after game after game. That one was a little bit more obvious. With Donahue, you, had, you couldn't really tell because the fix was in for different teams over and over. You know, One day he may have had something in. I shouldn't say fix, because he doesn't acknowledge that he fixed the games. He only acknowledges uh, using information that he got from being inside the game to uh, basically make picks. And he relayed that information to uh, gamblers. But uh, most people, I I believe, think that it's pretty difficult for him not to have attempted to influence some of the games. But anyway, what I'm saying is that there were a lot of different games, a lot of different teams involved, So uh, there were some blind movements, but it wasn't as easy to identify. Are we better at uh, looking at the market and identifying such things right now? Oh, absolutely, because we have more exposure through the legal market. And There's less money. Uh, you would think there, we have more access to some of the money that's being wagered uh, in the legal market for sure. So uh, Donahue was an interesting uh, situation. Um, I think we're better prepared in a legal market to identify that earlier now.
2: One of you mentioned that Adam Silver was over in Europe or U.K. uh, looking at gambling over there before all this broke. Is there a difference the way international gambling or or legalized gambling uh, not in the United States is different from what we're trying to do? Have we learned any lessons? Are we improving on what they did? Or are we behind what they're doing? Technology-wise, we're behind. Uh, The mobile
0: apps and the betting uh, platforms in the U.K., are viewed as superior to some of the ones that are available in Nevada at this time. Um, I think we're learning a little bit. I also think uh, that some of the things we can do better that the U.K. has done and has struggled with, um, they recently had a bunch of pushback about the influx of sports betting ads nearing games, and that caused a lot of political backlash. And, um, I would kind of like us to be a little conservative as we move forward with that kind of thing, to prevent some sort of political backlash. And I certainly remember... Uh, the overload of ads, the barrage of ads from daily fantasy companies drafting FanDuel a few football seasons ago, and that was turned into be a huge hot button issue, uh, got them in a lot of hot water eventually. Uh, there was multi-million dollar settlement in New York because of some of that advertising. So I would like to see us be conservative and not uh, rush in uh, to some of the overwhelming advertisement that we see in some of the other
1: countries. I think the one thing that Europe has had is adapt and there's a lot of European betting companies. Coming over here, or or have already had a foothold, is that it's not as easy as just saying, "Oh, I want to do sports betting." uh, I I could have told you before all this happened that it was going to happen on different terms in different states, and you know, it's based on the existing gaming entities. It was was often going to happen based on what they want, and we've actually been kind of pleasantly surprised. There's been a few states that have kind of had an open market, like Tennessee for instance basically anybody who wants to come in and get a sports betting license uh, to run online sports books can do so if they you know if they get vetted and they pay the license fee and pay the taxes so that's more like the UK model where you can just kind of you, you want to run a sports book you want to be regulated you can do it um, you don't have to be tied to a land based casino or anything like that but that's uh, you know in an ideal world i think that's what we see in more states but uh, it's it's just not the reality of, of how things are going to go down in the vast majority of them
2: so we we talked a little bit about the difference here between the United States and Europe. How about the fact that now you can go to New Jersey? Well, I guess you could always go to Atlantic City. But you can go to other places other than Las Vegas or, or Nevada to put in your bets. Have you noticed any diminution in what's going on in Vegas because of that? Uh, I mean, I know guys used to go out for, you know, NCA first weekend so they could put a bet on sports books or NFL opening weekend. Has is, is that had an effect on Vegas?
1: We're actually seeing record handle some months still in Nevada, right, David? I think there's, you know, we, we, they, they passed the $600 million mark one month, I believe, recently. So yeah, I don't. Uh, I think the, the doomsayers are like oh, nobody's going to go to Nevada to bet on sports. I think one, it's still kind of a growing market as they get. Uh, you know, Nevada's a little, bo- has been a little slower on the mobile rollout just because of how they do it. You can't register remotely, things like that. So I think there's actually a, a pretty good case that people will learn about sports betting and then oh, I want to. You know, it's something I now I'm. Familiar with and when I'm in Vegas, I will do that now. It's still a destination for the biggest events as well. I don't think that's going to change. You could, you know, Super Bowl, March Madness. The, you know, Vegas is overflowing. Will continue to be overflowing and see a lot of money. You know, we're actually a little surprised in New Jersey for for both events. The. The, the amount wagered on both Super Bowl and March Madness, I think, was you know, less of a percentage of overall betting in, in each month than, than we typically see in Nevada. So I think the idea that Nevada is a hotbed for sports betting is, is not really tethered to reality. Agree with that.
0: Um, I would just add that because Nevada is out there in the West, we haven't seen uh, widespread legalization out in the West. New Mexico has a very few amount of sports books all brick and mortar at this time. If California, and I think that's what I both agree, that it's going to be one of the last states to probably get on board, because things are very complicated over there. But if California were to legalize sports betting and allow legal sports books, then I would want to see after a year what the Nevada numbers look like. And I do think there might be some sort of uh, you know, diminishing returns for Nevada if California uh,
2: were to legalize it. Why do you pick California? This is maybe I missed what you said. What because of the weather? People say I'd rather go to California than Vegas. Or? No, because it's so
0: close to Nevada, uh, Los Angeles to oh, Las Vegas. okay, so you're right. uh,
2: Less than a four-hour
0: drive. They get a lot of people that come over there. Uh, okay. I think if California, okay.
2: and it's just a big state. You know, big state. A lot of yeah. people looking to. Okay, okay. So let me ask: Is the the bookie is he obsolete now? no not at all
0: uh, the local bookmaker has several advantages over the regulated bookmaker and they are still going to uh, right now more money is wagered with local bookmakers than is wagered in the legal market hands down side closed. the local bookmaker at your country club at your sports bar or whatever where they ever operate out of uh, operates on credit a lot of the times and that is the number one advantage they have uh, they will give you a credit element say okay uh, Robert, you can bet up to a thousand dollars. If you get down a thousand or up a thousand, we'll pay out. Uh, you get this password to my internet website that uh, servers hosted in Costa Rica, and we are going to let you play uh, as long as you want. And that advantage of not having to put up cash in front is by far the biggest advantage the local bookmakers will have and always will have, uh, in my opinion. There are some other advantages they have, well and all that. Justin, quite touch on some of those, but absolutely not. The local bookmaker is, is not uh, going away anytime soon.
1: The other part is the anonymity, right? You, we just talked about. Okay, if you're going to place a bet of any kind of size, there, especially online, the bookmaker and everybody else is going to know who you are. They're going to know how much you bet. You're, you you do not get that anonymity in a, in a regulated market that you can, you know, betting at your local bookie or even offshore to the same extent. There's a lot of advantages just inherent in, in not having to operate in a regulated market. Local bookies probably aren't, maybe they're paying taxes. I don't know. Probably not. So they have less overhead. There's, there are just a lot of advantages, and and for the offshore portion of it, they've actually probably benefited from the wave of legal sports betting. I can't tell you how many people. Are out there who think the Supreme Court case just legalized sports betting. That's not at all the case, as we as we've been discussing. This is it, it allowed states to legalize sports betting as, as they saw fit. But there's people I can tell you there's a ton of search just for you know generic sports betting terms. And if you do that, you're going to get an offshore site. You're going to get a Bovada. You're going to get a Bet Online, uh, My Bookie, any number of these offshore books that are you know serve U.S. customers and because of this wave of just interest and people just know, oh, the sports betting is a thing, I'm going to Google it. Oh, here's a sports book. Maybe I'll just sign up for this. So, um, yeah, we're, we're a long way from either the local bookie or the <laughs> offshore sports book from seeing bad times. And, in fact, they might, they might benefit, both of them, from this.
2: The local bookie doesn't pay taxes. Uh, probably, he might. When's the federal government going to decide they want to get into this action? And they want to be part of regulating this industry. They, you know, they're always late to the party, but they always come to the party.
1: The first thing they need to do is, if they're going to get involved, I think uh, is, you know, get involved in some kind of enforcement. If if the offshore books are in fact acting illegally or violating the Wire Act or any any other federal laws you want to pick out, then you have to do something about it. Again, I know it's hard to, you know, these are are companies that exist offshore not really easy to get to, but there's certainly, if anybody made it a, a point of emphasis, they could do that. Now, I, I, I don't think there's much impetus to like, actually regulate at the federal level, but if any of it's ever going to stop, it has to start with law enforcement, I think, uh, you know, and states can't do that. They don't have the resources to you know, you know, go shut down uh, offshore sports books. but if you really want to make an impact you know, and, and help the regulated market, that's, that would be my starting point uh, at the federal level. And I don't know if they're interested either. That's the other thing. Like, uh, there's obviously a lot of lobbying going on. NBA and MLB in particular would like to see, you know, some kind of federal intervention or regulation or be involved. But um, you know, we're, we're we're possibly years from that. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. It's certainly not happening this year. Maybe something could happen next year if everybody got aligned. But there's a lot a lot of space between the federal government getting meaningfully involved and what where we're at today.
0: I used to think that the feds were going to get involved a little sooner. My thinking of that has changed. We have all kinds of issues in this country. Is sports betting, they're really the ones going to be at Congress to compel to, to get something done. I, I just can't see it.
2: I, I guess the NCA is now focusing on uh, image and likeness in terms of prohibiting teams in, in states like California that are thinking of passing laws. But uh, on, on the gambling front, at one point, they said, well, if you they wouldn't hold championships in states that allowed gambling, well, that's going to be everywhere. What's the college space? Uh, how are they dealing with this? I mean, I think they want to share in some of the revenue, too, don't they?
0: Yes. Uh, some of the colleges, the individual schools, it's kind of interesting to note, not the NCAA, but the individual schools in West Virginia, um, University of Missouri, Connecticut, uh, they all looked into whether they could get a quote unquote integrity fee at the beginning of that and wanted to get some revenue from sports betting. The NCAA, on the other hand, has said that it is not interested in that, it remains adamantly opposed to all forms of sports betting, legal or illegal, and they include fantasy sports in that realm as well. So uh, the NCAA is in far by far, you know, still holding the line way back on the opposition level. They have, uh, in fact, lobbied for any kind of federal legislation to include an exemption on NCAA sports. They haven't had much luck with that. Some of the states have produced regulations that prevent betting on, for example, in New Jersey, on state schools like Rutgers, Keaton Hall, um, Pennsylvania, I believe. no, Pennsylvania did not do that. Um, What other states did do that? Did Illinois do that?
1: Illinois did, I believe. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't have that list in front of me, but there are some, yeah, some stand wagering on both on Schools in state or college events that take place in the state. So there's some amount of that. The one I'll say the one thing the NCAA has done is it used to have a blanket ban on championship-level events that took place in states with sports betting. That's that's why you've never seen in Nevada for a time. Oregon, where I live, had a sports betting product via the lottery. And basically, NCA said, we're not going to have events there unless you get rid of this product. New Jersey, basically because it was challenging the federal law and wanted sports betting, they had a de facto ban on that. So they have rolled that back just basically out of, uh, out of a realization like, okay, we can't ban championship level events in 18 states. That's not, right. that's not feasible. Not good for the NCA. So they, they've walked that back. So that was just less of a, a change in how they view sports betting and more just a hat tip to the reality that this is happening. And It's not going to be the end of the world if we have championship level events in states with sports
2: betting. Right, I mean the NCA sometimes their view on things is a little out there like when they're telling kids they can't fill in a pool because an NCA pool cuz that's gambling. Uh, even if they're not playing in the game and they're not basketball players. I mean, I think we all do that for fun more than we do that thinking we're going to become rich. Let me ask you guys a question from where we are now from where we were a year ago. Is there anything that in this whole space that you guys didn't expect to happen? Dustin, we'll start with you.
1: I think David probably disagrees with me. I'm surprised at the pace at which everything's happened. I, I don't think that I would have guessed that we would have 18 states that are poised to have sports betting by 2020. Like, laws that made it through this year at, at a pretty surprising clip, laws even at last year, you know, in, in advance of the past, the decision, and after. There's, it's just, I know sports betting is popular. It's a source of revenue. Lots of lots of casinos want it, but I thought the pace at which it's happened has been, you know, surprisingly fast for me. That we're a year out and we're already up to, you know, almost uh, yeah, two fifths of states so will have some kind of legal sports betting by the end of next year, which is, I think, uh, you know, in, in the terms of you know getting legislation done or, and just gambling in general, that's a, a clip that which I don't think I saw coming. You know, I thought it would come eventually and you know over a longer time frame, but just the pace and the speed at which it's happened has surprised me.
2: David, I'm not going to let you use speed, too, so you have to come up with something else that is unexpected.
1: I got one. The number
0: one thing that I never thought I would see is sports books inside stadiums. I never thought the leagues would embrace that. And it turns out they have been lobbying for just that, uh, to put sports betting facilities or being able to operate a sports betting scheme uh, out of professional stadiums. Uh, I reported last week that the Cubs have considered this. Uh, putting a sports book actually in Wrigley Field. Uh, Major League Baseball and the NBA were part of the lobbying efforts in uh, Illinois, and they wanted to include that language. The uh, recent New York bill, uh, New York's a little bit confusing, but there was a second bill in New York that was attempting to legalize mobile sports betting, um, and it also included language that would allow stadiums. Uh, Again, I go back to how adamantly opposed to sports betting they were, and for them to suddenly say, Ah, well, the irreparable harm, I guess isn't that bad. Let's just go ahead and have sports books in our stadiums. Uh, it was just a complete shocker to me. I just did not ever see uh, the leagues embracing that, certainly not this soon.
1: yeah, David uh, better than mine. that's a, that's a really that's a really shocking one. Yeah, you think like go back five years in time and like picture a sports book in Wrigley field or wherever, or any stadium in the country, especially major league stadiums, like, where, you know, we're constantly debating Pete Rose and, and whether he should be in the Hall of Fame because of his betting pass. Like going from that to, okay, we have a sports book and really feel it, you can just go bet on the game while it's going on. That's that is a breakneck uh, one eighty from where we were, uh, certainly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard someone argue that uh, baseball, because it's just statistically uh, based so much, so much about baseball is the stats, is probably the best sport for betting. Uh the NFL a lot of people say part of their popularity is that people bet on football games and you know that's one of the reasons that people watch it. Now with fantasy sports there you know that's just a, was another type of of gambling. What is the best sport for betting? I think
1: it's basketball honestly. I uh, you know it's the vo- between the volume of games and the ability to bet in game on on basketball and the, the, types of things. I, I think it's the, the, the best product. I'm also a fan of golf betting. Um, the only problem with golf is that you, you have fewer events, but you know, as you're watching a golf event, there's a lot you can do with, with what you could bet on while a tournament or while a round is going on. Baseball, too, I mean, I, they are right that the speed of it uh, lends itself to, you know, it's, it's kind of slow. Uh, you can you can bet on things between pitches and, and change and odds change and, and sports can kind of wrap their heads around that a little more easily I guess and, and and baseball sees that as well but you know baseball is baseball I don't I don't think it's the most compelling betting product out there I'd say I put basketball and golf in some order ahead of them
0: my favorite sport is my favorite sport to bet on college football um, it doesn't have anything really to do with how I bet on it it's just that I enjoy college football the most. And- um, I'm trying to think of something that, oh, I just really like how that is bet on. I, I can't tell about anything. I guess I would say golf would be uh, a, an answer whether you could bet on a hole-by-hole type scenario. But uh, I, I'm lazy. I like to sit back, place my $20 wager on college football before the game kicks off, and sit back and watch it.
1: And football is going to be the biggest and is going to remain the biggest thing to bet on. The, the, the thing that other sports have going for them is, as things grow is the volume of games. You know, you have in the NFL, you have a limit, you have one week and every team plays and you, you, have you get the bets on those games, but you know, NBA, every night you have just this large volume of things that you can bet on. Same for baseball. Those are the, you know, the, that's the advantage, you know, in, in terms of overall betting, you know, there's a more concentrated amount on the NFL, but just because you have more games over a longer period of time, there's still, there's a, you know, basketball, baseball, or, and, and hockey. have There's a non-trivial amount that's going to be bet on all of that as well
2: as as the, as the market grows. You know. Okay. So where, where will we be in five years in, uh, in the sports betting world?
1: We'll be in five years. I mean, at this point, you got to think we're, I mean, some kind of legal form of betting in more than 30 states. That seems like a no-brainer. We'd only have to get 12 more to get there. And there's some number of states that I think just won't act or it'll take a while to california mentioned there's endless numbers of problems of trying to get to a solution where sports betting would be legal there you know other big states new york just passed up on it um texas god only knows they don't really have much in the way of gambling so the biggest states you know uh, i would i would hope that one of those will have turned green on on the ledger by then um yeah but we're gonna i mean right now we're still trying to figure out who the big players are you know i think We've seen an early lead from the former daily fantasy companies, DraftKings and Fandle. uh, Actually, Fandle more so than DraftKings these days. They've been the early leaders in New Jersey as the only fully online market outside of of, uh, Nevada. Um, So I'll be curious to see in five years who is dominating the market um, as more states open up and more online happens. Right now, it looks like Fandle, but there's certainly a lot of things that could happen between now and then that that would affect that.
2: Uh, I'm surprised that you only said that we'd have 30 and five when we've had 12 and and one. How, I mean, do you think we have 50 in 10 years?
1: Zero percent chance we have 50. I, I know. I know David is going to say he will take the over on that cause there's there but there's there's states that are just Utah is not going to pass sports betting. Not
2: going to happen. Uh, uh, if David takes the over on 50, I'm taking the under
1: you are a chance at 50, he would bet the other side of that. Because of he do. But there, there will not be sports betting uh, with the 10 years. Uh, that's an ironclad lock, five-star lock of the century for me.
2: David, how about you? What do you, what do you say? Where, where are we going to be in five and then 10? I think uh, in five, you're going to just see an increased
0: uh, presence from the sports leagues in the sports betting industry. We'll probably have some sports books uh, at some stadiums and some Uh, major league stadiums. I think we're going to start seeing sponsorship today, the MLS major league soccer announced that they're going to allow sports betting operators to advertise on on uniforms. Uh, So I think you'll see more integration, including in the media in five years, in 10 years, I'm going to dream big. And uh, uh, I'm going to say we're going to have a nationwide federally regulated sports betting exchange, just like we have a, a stock market uh, that will be opened up. I think 10 years is maybe a little soon, but I, I did want to think big there. And uh, I, I think that's ultimately where this is going to go, that eventually, if the Fed do get involved, uh, they get involved in some sort of oversight of a you know uh, cross-state lines, uh, federally backed, regulated sports betting exchange, and uh, very similar to the stock market.
1: It would be great if we had that, for sure, because you know, we've we talked about all these states and how they're doing it. It's it's hard to do it, and you know, companies have to you know be regulated in one way in one state and another. If there's some kind of overarching, this would it would get rid of a lot of the friction that we have in sports betting and how it's rolling out right now. So I'd love to see that. Uh, again, I'm I'm a I'm a seller on whether the federal government get involved, but I, I would I would love to live in the world that David just
2: uh, just imagined. So my final question to you guys was: so you're in charge. Time's not an issue. Uh, Money's not an issue. Uh, You're the czar. You can change it the way you want. How are you changing it so that sports betting is part of the fabric of our sports culture and is a growing industry? That may be happening right now, but you're in charge and you can make it better. What are you going to do? I
1: think the leagues and the sports books and casinos and racetracks all get on the same page. Like here's what we can all agree on. We, we we both give up a little bit of what we want to get a regulated market that everybody can agree with. That's those discussions have, you know, happened to some extent. Some leagues and, and casinos and sports books are not diametrically opposed on absolutely every last thing, but that would go a long way because then we're not, you know, right now we're in a world where some casinos want one thing, leagues want another thing. And that creates a mess where we have you know, differing laws, laws that aren't great. I'd love to see that lobbying effort coalesce into, into one thing. And I would just say, yeah, we need to have online everywhere. If we're not legalizing online in every state in the, in the country in a, in a kind of open fashion that's not at a, a super high tax rate, then we're, we're not doing it right and I would, you know, that, that's what I would do. I, again, the uniformity is, it would be great uh, at the federal level. That's, I, would, I, would, I would sign up for that in a minute if I was making the decisions. But, um, yeah, we, we need all of that to really make the sports betting market in the U.S. live up to expectations.
2: David, you're in charge now, but I'm asking what keeps you up at night? What, what are you worried about? What's the threat to the industry? A point-shaving scandal or a game-fixing scandal will be a huge, huge
0: story, and I think it's uh, will in some ways be overly covered, overly sensationalized, um, but uh, you know I think that could have happened even if we didn't have legalization of sports betting. Somebody else would have fixed the game. We're talking about a multi-billion-dollar, hundred-billion-dollar uh, market that's you know money's flowing through this, and whenever you have that kind of money, and look no further than Wall Street. Uh, you're going to have people that are going to try to bend the rules to get uh, some of that money. So. Uh, if something keeps me up at night, it is that eventually we're going to have some sort of gambling scandal. And uh, I think the reaction to of it, uh, I just hope we don't overreact. Nobody wants to see a game fix. Nobody wants to see uh, some sort of point-shaving scandal by any means, for sure. But I hope we keep it in perspective. It would not be a murder or it would not be a rape. It would be a scandal that we need to figure out what happened and how we can best do uh, to prevent it the next time.
2: Well, I said that that was my last question, but that was such a downer that, you know, uh, scandals. Uh, so, uh, Dusty, set us off on something good. What's a good way to end? I was just uh, traveling around. I was in New Jersey,
1: Pennsylvania, Nevada. I could play sports bets in all of those places legally. That's a, that's a cool world to live in. I live in Oregon. We are legal. We have legal sports betting coming apparently before NFL season. So the fact that we've just stigmatized this thing that a lot of people already do, people love. I, I wanna do it uh, and I wanna do it at legal books if I can, I think that's the takeaway here. We're in a world where this is this is happening, it's good, it's good for sports, it's good for, you know, states and good for tax revenue. There's there's so much good that that, that could come of this if we, we do it in the right way moving forward. And that we just we have it. That that we live in that world where where sports betting is a thing, and we can, you know, David and I don't have to fly to, to Vegas to get a bet at a legal book.
2: Great. Thank, I, I really want to thank you guys. Can, do me a favor. Tell uh, our listeners where they can follow you guys and where they can find you uh, to keep up on this space.
1: LegalSportsReport.com, dot com, where we track how many states have legalized. We have news about the industry and legislation constantly. So, you want to know what's going on in your state? We have that. Follow me on Twitter at uh, Dustin G O U K E R. David. I write for ESPN.com. We have a
0: section on there called Chalk. Um That is our sports betting coverage. So uh, we write all kinds of uh, long-form features and that kind of thing. I'm also on Twitter at, uh, at David Purdom, D-U-R-D-U-M. Thank you for having me.
2: To our listeners, I just want to say I hope you enjoyed listening to, to David and Dustin uh, or, or, and you've enjoyed our podcast. And if you have, let us know. You can provide your feedback by going to the Apple Podcasts and going to the Ratings and Reviews section for our podcast. If you're listening on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com and search for After the Buzzer to leave a review or comment. Of course, if there's a topic you would like to hear us discuss, let us know. We thank you for listening.